Hi, everyone. This is Sherry Rice, and welcome to Access to Healthcare's weekly podcast, where we bring you local and national guests to discuss topics of interest to you and your family. Today, my guest is Nora Ann Brooklocker. Nora is a local licensed marriage and family therapist with Sierra Sunrise Wellness. Welcome, Nora Ann. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, yeah. You're a part of this podcast now where there's so many topics that we want to get to in 2021, and today is certainly an interesting one. I started out wanting to discuss the new COVID-19 vaccine and how someone can literally make their decision whether to have the vaccine uh, given the overwhelming information out there and how we know what is a true fact, what is misinformation, and what is simply a conspiracy theory. So with that in mind, and considering that I started with the vaccine, I really want to get into some of those topics, Noran. Let's start with conspiracy theories. Uh, factually, conspiracies do exist. The tobacco companies did one, Iran-Contra, uh, they do exist. But then we have many that are out there that people believe in that we don't have any facts to say that it was a conspiracy. JFK's assassination, uh, 9-11 conspiracy theories, Princess Diana was killed by the royals, they just go on and on. And certainly today with COVID and some of the things politically that have gone on, conspiracy theories are a topic that I think is talked about a lot at every dinner table in the United States. So maybe you can help us shed some light on this, Noran. What is a conspiracy theory? Well, according to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, a theory, uh, a conspiracy theory, is a theory that explains an event or a set of circumstances as the result of a secret plot by usually very powerful conspirators. Um, and it's also a theory asserting that a secret of great import- importance is being kept from the public. Well, there we go. Um, that's quite a mouthful. It, it yeah. has to do with <laughs> secret. It has to do with uh, something that we believe is being kept from us. Um, how mm-hmm. do they get started and how do they take root? So I think that uh, according to the APA, psychological research shows humans have a tendency to perceive patterns and embrace information that meets needs for security and belonging, um, which is a driving force behind some widespread irrational beliefs. Um, But in addition, where do they take root? You know, so many of these theories, I think, uh, have quite a long fetch of history behind them. Some of them might just suddenly erupt, right? And uh, we'll get into it a little deeper here in a moment. But um, there is a huge correlation to moments of crisis. Um, But in addition to that, they might start as early as when we're children. Um, An example would be Santa Claus. So Santa Claus is technically a conspiracy in that everybody is in on it. Um, It's, you know, not of a a dark nature or an evil nature, I would say. But, you know, that would include also the Easter Bunny, the Tooth Fairy, um, so many fairy tales. I think that mm-hmm. we believe in the magic of the world as children. Um, and please, for all parents listening, uh, don't hear me as saying to change those traditions. I'm simply giving an example of how um, it, it's 
quite a startling experience, I think, when children come to understanding of, um, oh, this isn't true. This isn't something. This this is kind of a make believe, and it's for the fun of it. It's for the um, enjoyment of being able to create magic, I suppose. But along the de- developmental line, children come to the understanding, perhaps because they have these gut hunches or their suspicions are then um, confirmed when they realize, like, no, that doesn't make sense. And I think some of these conspiracy theories are rooted in just enough of a nugget of truth. And perhaps there's a little bit of that foot in the door where if you believe this and then you take that next step to then kind of believing this and then so on and so forth, where before you know it, perhaps you get into some outlandish territory. Well, and it's interesting you say we're not saying that you that you shouldn't have Santa Claus and we're not saying that it does some irreparable damage to a child to suddenly realize that your parents were Santa Claus. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm certainly not saying that. I myself um, enjoy the Santa traditions. I I really love um, that childhood innocence and the beauty of kiddos being mm-hmm. able to suspend reality in that way. And that, too, is another piece here is suspension of reality. I think that with Hollywood at this point in time, it's really easy to uh, watch these scary movies. And I think movies make stories seem so much more plausible. Um, I myself have to be very careful about scary movies because I do have a tendency towards nightmares. Um, But I think that that's true of the content that we are consuming in the news or even social media for that matter. I think that there is um, quite a lot at this point that we're seeing. Um, And I think it's easy to fall into this um, suspension of reality at this point in time. Well, certainly that's not to say that news is not reality, but. Right. But, you know, we can certainly, I think most people would agree, is that in today's age of social media and non-news, that the average person has a lot of trouble figuring out what is real. As you said, suspension of reality. I call it trying to make sense out of nonsense. And I try not to do that because it it can make me, uh, then I spend my time trying to make sense out of nonsense. And with social media, we, um, we are asked many times to suspend reality. How are we, the average person, supposed to understand whether it's a conspiracy theory that is real or not, we're certainly very susceptible to them, aren't we? I I would say so. Um, well, yes and no. Let me put it that way. Um, I think when we feel uncertain about something, um, we want to, of course, make sense of it, as you just described. So there is this desire to fill in the blanks. Um, to to understand, and um, I think that there are times where there are certain things that are classified. There, there are things that we cannot have access to. Um, but in addition to that, taking it even down to our own relationships, think of a time in which you weren't entirely sure what that person was thinking, what they were feeling, what was going on inside of them. And those are those moments where we will create narrative to what that person is going through. But this is a perfect example that we have to be very cautious that that narrative we have creating 
created does not necessarily equate to the truth. And so I think um, it is a, a very natural thing for people to want to make sense of the world around them. Um, and I also want to say here, uh, so according to Prusian and Douglas in their 2017 journal article, conspiracy theories as a part of history, the role of societal crisis situations, uh, quote, evidence suggests that the aversive feelings that people experience when in crisis, such as fear, uncertainty, and the feeling of being out of control, stimulate a motivation to make sense of the situation, increasing the likelihood of perceiving conspiracies in social situations, end quote. So I think that, you know, scams happen all the time. I myself have been scammed, and I'm lucky enough that there was a Walmart employee who was like, yeah, what's happening there? It's not real. <laughs> oh, okay. Hmm. And I, I can be a little bit gullible myself sometimes. I want to believe in people. And I definitely would say that I myself, uh, you know, even though I am an ideal, uh, idealistic, optimistic type, I also know because of my background and my licensure that there are some really unfortunately awful people out there um, who do hurt others and they don't care about your feelings. And so I do think that scams exist and people get scammed. So it's a really interesting confliction of emotions and also thoughts in this process because we don't want to feel manipulated. We don't want to feel as if people are quote unquote making us to believe anything and on the, the opposite side of that, I think that there is um, that, that sense of, I, well, I don't know what to believe. And so sometimes pe people might turn to those people in their life who they trust, who they care about, but then it comes to, again, opinions or anecdotal data. And then, of course, going you know, to um, leadership levels, I think that this last year, um, not only were we in a huge state of crisis, um, but in addition to that, there was a lot of in uh, arguing, if you will. You know, it, it was really difficult even as two people were speaking to know who's telling the truth here, What what is the truth. Um, and I think that a lot of people want to feel that stability. So perhaps they might choose one side or another uh, in a, a situation like that. Well, let me um, let me go back just a bit to uh, how they how conspiracy theories get started and take root because it seems to me that if no one believes it, it can't take root. And it used to be that we would see. Remember the National Enquirer? I don't even know if it's around anymore. But it would always have a headline that grabbed you at the checkout counter, like, you know, alien baby discovered in Ohio raised by, you know, a human couple or something. Something so weird mm -hmm. that you'd literally go, yeah, uh -huh, whatever. Um, but now these conspiracies seem to take root quicker and in a shorter amount of time. Is that that we are believing them more today because we're in a certain measure of crisis, as you said? Um, it plays on our fears. It just seems like we are rooting ourselves in them quicker, faster, and with more intensity today. So I actually was reading up on this exact piece here, and um, it would be 
that that's what uh the sense is certainly um but per the uh article i uh just described the conspiracy theories as a part of history um that in fact uh conspiracy theories are in fact something that all along the line we can see as a historical concept I think mm. that um, in terms of the sense that it's more so the age of conspiracism, um, that actually is not supported by research. Now, of course, it'll be very interesting as the years go by here to look at this age of information in addition to this age of conspiracism and that perhaps these things can be more highly um uh, put out, you know, via the internet, you know, that it, it used to be that it was only really within your circle of, uh, or sphere of influence, right? But the internet really opens that up, widens that, that ability up. Um, but with that said, I think that, um, again, uh, when it comes to these things uh, and the, the likelihood of possibility, um, I think that a lot of people um are are vulnerable you know um i think again that's part of where that hollywood piece comes in where it's so much easier to believe that this could be possible perhaps um but i think in addition to that when you start with a grain of truth and then you go down that rabbit's hole i think there is a level at which people are perhaps confirming a bias so that would be for example, um, QAnon does this, where they'll point you in the direction, they'll give you some clues, and now you have to put the dots together and make sense of it. And it's the same thing that we do in escape rooms, right? I don't know if you've ever gotten to do an escape room. It's, it's actually really quite fun. Yeah, huh. it, it's really, you get a good group together, but um, an escape room is one where you're given a bunch of clues and you have to figure it out. And one of the things mm -hmm. that people who are the game masters have to be really, really cautious of is that everybody in the room is looking for any clue they can possibly get. And so if there's an accidental clue, you know, it really has nothing to do with the game, then they'll come over the walkie-talkie and say, nope, nope, that's not part of the game. Um, but I myself have been like, well, but is it though? <laughs> I know they just told me it's not. But maybe, yeah. and they'll come across and be like, no, really, that's not a part of the game. <laughs> okay, all right, it's not a part of the game. <laughs> but I think that that's the thing is that we, we connect those dots. And I think, again, there's that uh, natural human tendency to fill in the blanks, either by connecting the right, perceived dots right. or creating the narrative. Right. And I, um, yeah, <laughs> right. well, I think we want to fill make... in the gaps. We want to make sense of yeah. things. We want to make sense of it. I, everything you're saying, I'm, you know, thinking about myself personally and where I, what I believe and don't believe and where I'm susceptible. You know, it. you take like Area 51. I mean, most of us in Nevada know about that. And we know that there is the uh, belief or, or that there is a conspiracy out there, that it's secret because you used the word secret, that it plays on our fears, that there's aliens. And of course, Hollywood plays on our fears by having many movies where aliens are coming and, uh, well, there's E.T. That was a nice alien, but there's also movies where they're not so nice. And so you take Area 51 and uh, people believe there's a secret out there and that maybe there's aliens. But it's not, 
it didn't cause uh, damage. So, so when we talk about, and you brought up QAnon, and we talk about some of the conspiracies that are happening today, what we're seeing, though, is violence from those. We're seeing uh, some things that we maybe haven't seen in the past where people are going to extremes to express their conspiracy beliefs in a violent way. And that seems to me like that's one of the turns that has happened here. Does that does that make sense to you? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I I think that uh the violence aspect is of course particularly disturbing. Um one of the things I want to talk about here is Milgram's obedience to authority research. This is uh for any psychologist uh part of our ethical foundations uh that we learn about. Um, so with Milgram's obedience to authority uh, research, I'll give you the structure of it first. And that was, um, so they would have people come in and there would be this understanding that they were um, to shock this other participant if they got a question wrong. And, you know, I'm sure they had many, many different conditions of it, but um, with with the particular condition I'll describe, they could hear this other person who would perhaps yelp or even scream. And they'd be like, oh, I don't want to do this. I And so then the um, researcher would say, would say um, keep on going. It's necessary that you keep on going. And um, for a number of the participants, they did. They did keep on going, even when they heard these electric shots or what they thought were occurring, right? And um, there was even to the extreme where perhaps the person was complaining of a heart condition and then the point where you no longer heard anything. And um, it was so disturbing for so many of the participants that they would continue to believe this or that they would continue to give over their responsibility, I guess you could say, their uh, even morality, you you could even go as far as to say. Um, And the whole point that Milgram uh, was trying to get at is this uh, unquestioning obedience to authority. So I think that that would be an example of a way in which uh, people are scared of authority. They're scared of um, believing in authority to the point where they're just handing over their quote-unquote liberty. Um, but at the same time, I think it's it's very interesting in terms of uh, the ways that people have been phrased as patriots. So they truly, truly do believed that they were fighting for the freedom of this country. Um, And I think that that's an example of how people's um, desire to uh, protect their country was really taken to an extreme. Um, Let me let me find my right words here. I think that when when it really comes down to it, there are some very provoking things that uh, QAnon or or these conspiracy theories of more recent days 
um, have said. I think one that really plays on emotions is this whole idea of a pedophilia ring. Now, this mm-hmm. is an example of something that is based in reality. Sex trafficking happens. It is a truth. It's ugly. It's disgusting. It's horrible. I want for it to get discovered and light shed upon it, of course. I think that um, when uh, there is then this this visceral reaction that comes with it, Um, or this sense of like, of course, I want to go above and beyond to protect. I think it is playing on people's emotions. And that I think is where it really starts to get dangerous. Um, I can't, of course, speak on behalf of everybody that was involved in these these horrific capital riots that occurred. Uh, it, It was awful to watch that whole situation as it went down. Um, But I also think that when we're trusting of somebody in a position, uh, in authority perhaps, with this sense that perhaps there's even like a deep-seated loyalty to that individual um, or that cause, I guess you could say, um, then it might be that people are able to um, do some things they wouldn't expect themselves to do. Well, we... We are, and I don't know if the word, I'm using the right word, nor am conditioned from a young age about authority, uh, mm-hmm. to listen to it, to respect it, to follow it. Uh, we are asked to do that as children. I remember uh, years ago doing some research when I put together the anti-racism group here in Reno on the blue, eye, blue eyes and brown eyes study that was done uh-huh. uh, years and years ago. I believe it was uh, first or second graders where the teacher uh, did sort of a experiment, so to speak, on with the children. And they were all uh, Caucasian children. And the brown-eyed children, she told the blue-eyed children that the brown-eyed children uh, were inferior to the blue-eyed children and that the brown-eyed children had to carry their trays back from lunch, that they couldn't really look them in the eye, et cetera, et cetera. And, it, and so at a very young age, and it was amazing how many of the blue-eyed children went along with it, but also the brown-eyed children. And then the next day she reversed it, told the blue-eyed children they had to carry the trays. They had to do all the work. They couldn't look the brown-eyed children in the eye. And it was, of course, far more complex than what I'm saying here in a very simplistic way. But when you're talking about it from a very young age, and certainly from parents, but also from other authority figures, we get most of our ideas in many ways or our values and our beliefs from those authority figures. If we uh, if we had parents or authority figures that told us that things were a certain way, uh, wouldn't we just naturally believe that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did yeah, I go off somewhere you don't want to go? Oh, I loved, I loved where you went here, Sherry. I, I just, this is one reason I just so enjoy these conversations. It's for exactly this. That's an excellent point. Um, that is an example of being inoculated at such a young age. And I think it is that simple, if you will. Now, that is kind of like a quote-unquote silly example, blue eyes, brown eyes. But 
uh, we had a previous discussion about implicit and explicit biases. Now, it could be mm-hmm. something like our favorite sports teams. Oh, we don't like Cowboys fans or, oh, we don't like Giants fans. I, I, I actually don't really care about either of those teams personally. <laughs> I'm just giving examples. But that's yeah. just it is for some people, they are just diehard, lifelong fans. And no matter whether mm-hmm. the team is losing or winning, I mean, um, gosh, it was the Chicago Cubs when they were in the the World Series. Boy, that was something to watch because so many of these fans have been waiting almost a lifetime for that moment and Mm -hmm. uh, what a big moment it was. But um, I want to say here that there's also the uh, Stanford experiment where, uh, again, it was based on no qualities of the participants themselves. It was completely a randomized selection where there were two groups. Some were split into those who were guards and some who were split into those who were quote-unquote prisoners. Now, these were just students, purely that. But so quickly they took on the roles and the perceived qualities that were supposed to go with these roles. The Stanford prison experiment had to get shut down before the time that was allotted for it. And the reason being is that it got out of hand very quickly. These students took on the roles and personas so much so that it actually became a rather dangerous situation for the participants involved in the research study. Um, But I think, too, if we get even deeper here, this last year, one of the things I heard um, both sides was, oh, they're like the Nazis. Oh, they're like the Nazis. And I think that that goes to a grain of fear, that we don't want to see the Nazis ever happen again. But how did we get there? How did that even happen? How did that even occur? And that's one of the things I I have been to um, a few concentration camps, in fact, and I really am, I I love to read the the info uh, pieces that they have up. because I too have that question, especially as a as with my background in psychology, how did that happen? How is it possible mm-hmm. that six million people died? I guess that also, how is it possible that people don't even believe that the Holocaust happened? <laughs> so that's very interesting in its own sort of conspiracy theory piece as well. Um, but I think that you know, back to this idea of authority as well. Um, there was once upon a time where it was illegal to help the Jews, um, you know, hide from, from the Nazis. It was one, once upon a time where it was illegal for abolitionists to help slaves who were trying to get away from their slave masters. So I think that there, there are times certainly to be disobedient to authority. I think that it's okay to have questions about what is going on and do I feel fully in integrity with these results? And I do think as well that there is a level at which things get stirred up and we have to be cautious about perhaps some of the the people who are doing some of that stirring of the pot. And I would say Mm -hmm. that that's 
true as well. I, I you know, I can't speak obviously to QAnon. I, I don't really, I don't follow that. But I think that when it comes down to it, there are those who want to create chaos and they want to create disruption and they want to create um, destabilization and that there are motives and agenda behind that idea as well. Well, I think that you and I could go on for quite a long time talking about conspiracy theories and unpacking it a bit, and maybe we do another podcast on it, because I I don't know about anyone else, but I'm finding this extremely uh, informative and fascinating, because over a lifetime, you realize that there are so so much information that comes at you over a lifetime that one has to make a decision as to what they believe the facts are and whether they're going to get involved with that uh, particular belief system. But really, we started this to talk about what's happening with this vaccine. I mean, it's it's kind of a, a composite of some of the things that we've been talking about, isn't it? it there's some conspiracies about it, uh, certainly that if you get the vaccine, I've even heard one that there's put a chip in you and that they would be able, that the government's going to put a chip in you and that they would be able to track you and uh, other things like that with the vaccine. And we talked about uh, misinformation and how can, how does one know what is fact, what is misinformation, uh, what is a conspiracy? And especially when we're talking about something like the vaccine that could potentially save people's lives. How do we help people to make that decision? Because I'm, uh, I personally have received my first vaccine, and I will get my second vaccine. Of course, I'm I'll be 71, and I would like not to get COVID. So I chose to get the vaccine, weighing both of those issues. Uh, which one would be worse for me? The vaccine, if there's challenges with it, or COVID? And I decided COVID would be worse. And so I'm getting the vaccine. But how do we help people to make that decision and to understand the difference between facts, misinformation, and what is conspiracies? Because this is vitally important to people's health. Right. Yeah, I really appreciated your podcast with Dr. Andy Pasternak. Um, I thought that that was so informative. I'm really, really grateful for both of you sitting down and having that conversation. Um, you know, with his training and background, I think he is one who can truly speak to the development and the process of those vaccines. Um, and it was really interesting in an NPR post um, or article with uh, distrust. Uh, I think that the local physician or your family physician uh, was ranked the highest um, out of out of just about any other resource. So uh, they were in like say the the high eighty percentile, um, whereas like politicians were ranked quite low. In fact, um, but with that said, you know how how do we make this decision? And I would say that. Academic journals are often going to be the most reliable resource um, because not only is the information being peer-reviewed, that means many people in that uh, caliber of education and what have you are able to review it and ensure that this information makes sense 
Um, but in addition to that, that there are typically several gatekeeper barriers along the way to ensure that the information being shared is as accurate as possible. Um, again, I think that there are people's opinions and anecdotal evidence. Now, anecdotal means that that is based on that person's uh, own experience or somebody else's whom they know. Um, and I think that that can be quite persuasive. Well, I heard a friend who had this experience, right? And so there's something that's so much more personal about that. And I think that we often do really gravitate towards that which is more personal and perhaps because it feels like there's a higher trust factor rather than some study that was conducted that we don't necessarily have any real understanding or attachment to. So I so, think that there is uh, – go ahead. Well, I was say part of what you're saying is go to a trusted person and ask them, somebody that you, I think, that you trust. I think a lot of people, that is going to be what they typically do. Um, I think that that's part of um, – it's a both and. And I think that when we're around people who have such a high level of distrust – then that too is going to breed a sense of distrust. Um, but, you know, in terms of like uh, getting a microchip or something along those lines, um, I carry my cell phone around with me and that might as well be my microchip. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I feel like uh, in the day and age of information, um, there is a lot of tracking that already occurs. Um, oh, my goodness. <laughs> You know, so big brother I is definitely too. watching. There's no doubt about that. Oh, yeah, there it is. Yeah, yeah. and I, again, yeah. that's one of those seeds of of um, where these conspiracy theories can start from. Um, but in terms of the vaccine, I think that some of the distrust uh, is that it has been unfortunately misused in the past. Um, an example of that is the syphilis studies that were conducted. Right. The um, Right. Exactly. Exactly. And for listeners, that essentially was a situation, another one that is in the ethics study uh, handout there, um, where there was an entire population of people where, oh, gosh, it's so hard to even talk about because it breaks my heart that this did happen. Um, but there was a whole population of people, the Tuskegee, Tuskegee Airmen, um, they, were, they were black men and they were given syphilis. Um, some were given a vaccine, but some were told that they had been given it and had not and ended up uh, dying from syphilis. And part of the uh, research construct was that they wanted to see the effects of syphilis all the way through mm -hmm. to the end, which, again breaks my heart. Um, I might have put a little trigger warning on that one. Um, but uh, at the same time, that's part of where this distrust in vaccines, I sure. think, is sown. Sure. And also uh, distrust in, like, say, a government body or organization. Um, when some things such as that, that nature have occurred in the past, I think that, you know, there there's um, definitely going to be some uh, uncertainty as to are we guinea pigs? You know, PTSD, I've said it before and I'll say it again, um, it's different than anxiety in that you can't tell somebody with PTSD that this won't happen if it has indeed happened 
before. Um, and so I think that that's one of the pieces here when it comes to the decision around the vaccine itself. Uh, the whole world is getting this. And I think mm-hmm. that when it when it comes down to it, I think that there definitely is a fear that people will do something bad. But my tendency is towards like more often than not, people are going to do what's good. We are talking about friends and family members. We're talking about us as a collective whole. And I think that uh, we are a village trying to look out for one another. And so if there is this sense of distrust, Um, If there is this sense of, I don't know who I can trust, that might actually, in fact, be a a signal that there is deeper trauma or there's deeper something that has occurred in one's life or that one is afraid of. And that is a a signal that maybe that's something to be talked about with with somebody um, that could be a professional. Maybe it could be that you talk to a family member or friend um, so that each of you can uh, get to the bottom of where does this come from for you personally? Where is your distrust stone? And I think that um, when it comes to the vaccine and making the decision, uh, certainly it is a personal one. I I will share a little anecdotal information here, um, my own experience. And when I uh, was hearing in the summer months that there was a real possibility that the rollout could happen by the end of the year, I thought, no way, is that even going to be safe? I don't know. I went back and forth. I thought, no, I'm not going to be one of the first people to line up. And come to find out, I was actually in tier one as a behavioral health provider, and I was one of the first ones to get it. Um, And part of that was to the fact that when it really comes down to it, I would much rather trust because I think that there is a a level at which um, I, I, I do believe in the best benefit that we as a whole can have from this. And this also for me means that I get to see clients in person again, including children and especially children who have not been able to make the transition to telehealth as, as easily as some of my adult clients. Well, you, you bring up a great example and, and I'm thinking about my decision to get the vaccine and the people that I trusted when Dr. Fauci got the vaccine, and that's somebody that I trust um, when President Obama got it, that I trust. I mean, there were some people even nationally that I trust, and then there were local people, Dr. Pasternak. Um, So it does come down to, I think, many times where you what you have in your life that you trust and what those people are saying to you. But again, I was not 100% uh, sure. Uh, Can we? I don't know that we can be because it's not within our control. What I was was pretty much 70% sure that the vaccine was the best way to go or 75%. uh, But that other 25% is sort of on faith or you're taking that risk. I don't know that many of our decisions aren't 100% sure. But the vaccine certainly isn't. So what helps somebody to be more comfortable uh, when they can't be 100% sure? You know, when I was sitting with this, um, one of the things that came up was when people get cold feet leading up to a marriage. 
<laughs> um, oh. <laughs> so I think that there are times as well where there is a bit of a trust fall because I think like, for example, a marriage, um, people change, uh, divorces do happen and there are not a whole lot of people that go into a marriage, uh, thinking, oh, we're going to, we're going to totally end in divorce. There might be some, certainly there might be some. Um, but in addition to that, I, I would say a lot of people are, are kind of blindsided about the changes or the things that can occur in uh, a marriage. I mean, there's a reason why I have really great job security, and that is because marriage is hard. Uh, communication can be really, really difficult, and there are definitely things that happen during the life of a marriage that um, can can try to change the equation to a degree anyway. Um, but the same is true with, with deciding to have children. You know, sometimes that happens, <laughs> and uh, you're like, okay, here we go. Um, but sometimes there is that decision-making process beforehand, and it's really, it, it's a terrifying thing to decide, okay, all right, here we go, I'm going to be a parent now. Um, because there's such immense responsibility that comes with it. Um, but we trust anyway. There's some things where we don't know how it's going to go, <laughs> and we trust anyway. I think that when it's a first time, there's a lot of resistance to it in a lot of different ways. Brene Brown talks about this as well. Uh, she calls it an FFT, um, and I'll refrain from what the, the middle F means, uh, but you can probably let your mind wander and uh, figure that one out. But it's a first uh, F time. And um, the thing about that is that we have the expectation that everything's going to be perfect and you know, the truth of it is when it comes to the vaccine, it's one where this is the first time that this type of a rollout is happening. Um, and it's, it's a newer vaccine as well. So I think that it's a natural thing to have some uncertainty around it. And with that said, I think that this also, as Dr. Pasternak was describing, this is something that was put in motion for over 15 years right. with a right. lot of other things that came before that were very similar to the COVID virus. So I actually would say that there's a tremendous amount of science and research and effort that came into this particular moment long before it happened because pestilence is a fact of life and being. Pestilence, illness, uh, viruses, bacteria. These are something that we live with and alongside. And um, while when a virus first comes along, of course, there's a lot of scrambling and trying to figure things out. But I would also say to those who are not 100% at this moment in time, you know, perhaps wait until you feel more in integrity, uh, but listen to uh, the information that is out there from reputable sources. In addition to that, I think that there is that fear of like they're out to get me. And that I think is, is um, something that maybe needs to be more closely looked at in such a way where there is that distrust that perhaps that person experiences or has felt. But I, I would also say that that's not necessarily true and don't believe everything you think. That's one of the issues here is that people might put these dots together and think that their narratives are true, but that's mm -hmm. just your story. That doesn't mean that that lines up with reality. And especially when things are classified or we don't get to know all of the details and we're trying to fill in those gaps. 
Um, I, right. I think that there are things that are being done on our best behalf. And um, I think that when it really comes down to it, this is one of the best things that could happen is the fact that we have this vaccine and that we are so close to getting back to some sense of normality. Will things be different from here on out? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) There's definitely going to be a whole lot of picking up the pieces. But um, I'm so excited to to get back into my own office soon, and that's a first step. Mm. Well, this has been a great conversation. I know for myself, I remind myself often that my feelings aren't necessarily facts. And to be able to um, to look at that really clearly. We've talked about going to a trusted source, uh, talking to people, getting our facts straight, um, and some of the reason why we wouldn't trust and the long history of that. So for everyone out there, um, I wish you the very best in making your decision about the vaccine. It's really clear that Nora Ann and I believe that the vaccine was right for us, and we believe it's right for the majority of the population. But again, it comes down to your decision, and we wish you the very best of luck. Today, we've been talking with Nora Ann Brooklocker, local licensed marriage and family therapist with Sierra Sunrise Wellness. Thank you, Nora Ann, for the very stimulating conversation. We always... uh, get off on these topics and um, we could go on for a long time. So thank you so much. (laughs) Oh my gosh. What a pleasure. Yes. Yes. Thank you so much. If you'd like to listen to our podcasts that we've done in the past, go to access to healthcare slash podcast, and you can bring up ones that we've done from the very beginning. And certainly as Noran says, um, Dr. Pasternak did one on the vaccines a few weeks ago, and we encourage everyone to listen to it. It is chock full of facts about the vaccine. Until then, be safe, uh, wear a mask. I think, Noran, that next week uh, our podcast is going to be on New Year's resolutions, and that ought to be an interesting one, too. So thank you, everyone, for listening.